to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Greetings, aspiring GCs. Whether you're in law school, private practice, government, or in-house, you're in the right place. My name is David Hamm, and I'm the co-chair of the in-house subcommittee of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee. More importantly, I share your aspiration of one day becoming a general counsel. But like you, I'm not sure how to get there. That's where Conversations with GCs comes in. The purpose of the podcast is to help aspiring GCs find the practical and actionable guidance they've been looking for. To that end, we'll be having conversations with leading GCs for the purpose of exploring the path that led them to the role of GC, essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC, current GC hot topics, and practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. But before we get started, one quick request. We would love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Today, we're very fortunate to be joined by Olga V. Mack. If you're on LinkedIn and in the legal field, you're likely very familiar with Olga, but just to unpack her incredible resume just for a bit, I want to highlight a couple of things. Olga is the CEO of Parley Pro, a next-generation contract management company that has pioneered digital negotiation technology. Olga embraces legal innovation and has dedicated her career to improving and shaping the future of law. She's convinced that the legal profession will emerge even stronger, more resilient and more inclusive than before by embracing technology. She shares her views in her columns on Above the Law, Forbes, Bloomberg Law, ACC Docket, Newsweek, and VentureBeat. Olga is also an award-winning general counsel, operations professional, startup advisor, public speaker, adjunct professor, and entrepreneur. Olga co-founded Sunlaw, an organization dedicated to preparing women in-house attorneys to become general counsels and legal leaders and wise to help female law firm partners become rainmakers. She lectures at Berkeley Law and has received numerous awards for her work, including the Silicon Valley Women of Influence, Make Your Mark, Corporate Counsel of the Year, and Women Leaders in Technology Law. She is a fellow of Codex, the Stanford Law Center for Legal Informatics, and a fellow of the College of Law Practice Management. Olga authored Get On Board, Earning Your Ticket to a Corporate Board Seat, Fundamentals of Smart Contract Security, and Blockchain Value, Transforming Business Models, Society, and Communities. That's pretty impressive. Olga, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and insights for aspiring GCs. Hi, David. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for one, inviting me. And two, 
uh, doing this podcast, which I know for a fact is a huge service to legal community and aspiring GCs. And I know it takes quite a lot of work to do this. So thank you so much for doing it. Absolutely. And and thank you. It's more of a continuation of a conversation as you graciously had me on, on your show. And so we'll just kind of keep it going. Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right. So we want to start first with just exploring the path a bit that led you to the role of GC. And typically we start with, when did you know you wanted to become a lawyer? Was it a uh, here's my bottle and where do I apply to law school? Or was it a little later on uh, in your academic career? So I knew uh, somewhere towards the end of high school. Um, and I knew specifically that I wanted to be a tech lawyer. Um, but um, the way I came to this pass is that when I was 12, we immigrated to United States. I did not speak English. I learned to read and write quickly, but I did not speak until I actually well got into law school Um, and, (laughs) um, you know, uh, for most of my childhood, I wanted to be an artist and I was actually building a portfolio to become one. When we immigrated to United States, uh, I was really focused on my studies and discovered that I'm also good at math and science and was considering becoming an engineer. My parents are engineers. Um, And, uh, but because I didn't speak English and, you know, adults always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. I like seeing their reaction when I say something funny. And at the time I thought it would be funny for a girl who does not speak English to say, well, I'm planning to be a lawyer Um, (laughs) and, and see them react and struggle because on the one hand, you know, a child's supposed to dream. On the other hand, that seems like an impossible dream for somebody who does not speak English. As we all know, being a lawyer is really sort of about, at least at a minimum, to perfect uh, the art of speaking, writing, and arguing. Um, And here you have somebody who is definitely not mastering the skill according to the timeline that most children master. Um, So I, I went through this. So many times that at some point um, I sort of decided that that's the past. That that's combined with the power of technology that I've seen around me and how it transformed my life, the life of my family, and the life of my community, and uh, my perceptions that that laws lag behind technology. And I wanted to be on the forefront of it. That's how I essentially went to law school with a very uh, focused vision of becoming. Uh, a lawyer, and I am very much, you know, a tech lawyer by design. I, I don't know, Olga, if I've ever heard anyone say I wanted to first be an artist, then an engineer, and then a tech lawyer. So I think you you broke some new ground there. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're learning to speak English, obviously proficient in reading and writing, as you're in law school. Did I did I hear that correctly? Well, I learned to read and, and write in high school, um, yeah. and I was, you know, fairly proficient. As in, you know, I I attended, you know, college at UC Berkeley, so yeah. I was proficient enough to get in. Yeah. Um, but it is the art of speaking that I, I was mm. very hesitant to speak. Uh, first of all, it took me a little mm. while to actually for my speech to catch up with my ability to read and yeah. write. Um, and then um, I had all kinds of 
um, anxieties, I guess, yeah. and insecurities uh, about how I come across, you know, my accent, um, you know, whether I'm understood. Um, I've also had an opportunity to learn it in high school, you know, and kids in high school are not always kind yes. um, to the folks who are different. Um, and, and so I had a lot of um, sort of trepidations around uh, the way I speak and how I speak and how I come across. So I, to some extent, because of learning and to some extent by personal choice, I've decided to say nothing um, and mm. be mostly an observer. Um, and that continued pretty much in high school and college. And um, there was a sort of this two distinct moments in my in my college and law school career that that changed that past. One was, uh, you know, I was uh, a valedictorian for my college and I had an opportunity to address over 10,000 people. Wow. Um, and um, I was asked whether I would choose to do that, but nobody ever heard me say anything. Uh, whether I would give that opportunity to somebody else. Um, and so that was my, the first time I spoke, so to speak, I spoke to a very large audience and I wow. really sort of was overwhelmed with the power of that. Mm. And the second time was actually in law school in my first year, at the end of my first year of law school, one of the women in my my class was actually a woman who was a few years ahead of me in in college and she was uh, helping me proofread my essays in in the in the student learning center and she saw me across the 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 yard and she screamed oh my god i do not remember your name but you are that girl who doesn't speak english <laughs> and she said it in in law school in the open oh. and <laughs> And, and that was probably, you know, the most mortifying, embarrassing moment in law school I've had. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so that, aside, that, that was kind of the final kind of straw that uh, when I started to actually speak. And, you know, as we all know, when I was actually when I decided to speak, nobody could actually quiet me down. <laughs> <laughs> there was a pivot no, and no going back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So those are the two moments. The, 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 the power of speaking to large audience. And the the understanding that for me to be an effective lawyer, I actually have to say something. Yeah, that that's incredibly courageous. I think that's a, a really inspiring story about moving forward despite fear and, and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. So I guess at this point, that just comes uh, naturally to you after after working through uh, those those instances. I think so. Um, I think it's. Um, you know, you learn a lot by observation, um, but you also communicate quite a lot um, by saying things. Um, yes. And, you know, uh, having done intentionally both, um, I think that allowed me to actually be a better, more impactful communicator because I understand the power of silence and I also understand the power of words. Yeah, wow, that that that's insightful. So you know, kind of thinking about your law school experience with, you know, some hard, painful things that pushed you to grow. You went into law school with a, seems like a, a very tight focus of, I'm going to be a tech lawyer. As you went through law school, was that affirmed and shaped or how did, how, what was your law school experience like from a developmental perspective outside learning to communicate? Um, 
I expected law, law school to be much more um, pragmatic and, um, and focused on real life. Um, to my great surprise, uh, it was sort of a lot more theoretical than I expected. Mm. Um, and, 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 and the reason I noticed that is because when I went to law school, I was choosing between the path of becoming a lawyer and the path of pursuing PhD in economics. Um, and one of the specific reasons I decided not to pursue uh, the, the path of PhD in economics is because I really wanted to solve real world problems um, and, and, and work in a sort of daily uh, grind of, of, of working through the problems. Um, and uh, I, was, I, I expected law school to be kind of much more hands-on um, than actually um, it, it was. And I, I don't think it's a peculiarity of my law school. I think it's, a, it's just a peculiarity of our legal education. And to yeah. this day, I think we're sort of questioning why. Um, and I, I'm glad to see that some of those things changed. But aside from that, uh, you know, uh, my law school has, you know, I went to Berkeley Law. Berkeley Law has a phenomenal, I'm going to say, number one program in tech law. Um, and uh, I, I, I had a privilege of fantastic tech in law program uh, where I was very much focused on intellectual property, privacy and security. I was part of the clinic um, in, for technology. I was part of the journal for technology. Uh, I had an opportunity to have an internship with Yahoo when at, at the time it acquired Flickr. I was able to join um, a fantastic law firm focused on technology. So in that respect, Berkeley Law has given me the opportunity to really um, pursue that you know, intersection of law and technology dream that I aspire to, to, to materialize in my life. That's fantastic. So you came in with a vision and it was just nothing but affirmed and, and nourished, it sounds like, over those years in school. Absolutely. And, and so you're leaving law school, you're graduating, you had incredible internships. Tell me about the transition to, to firm life. How, how was that transition for you? So I wanted to be a tech lawyer. And to me, that meant you know, one sort of intellectual property, security, privacy mm. as a subject matter, but as a skill, as a legal skill, what I imagine I would be doing is transactional work. Mm. Um, I graduated from law school in 2006, right on, on right, you know, as recession was about to right. be part of our lives. Mm. And I, uh, I had, you know, I was fortunate to have a few offers to choose from. And they all have one thing in common is that they told me that at this stage of history, nobody wants another transactional lawyer. And never, if you want to pursue technology law, that will be litigation. Hmm. If that is if you want to be gainfully employed. Um, <laughs> that's, that's part of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> that is part of the goal. So, um, so I, I ended up being um, intellectual property security privacy litigation litigator at a major law firm um, for you know three to four years um, uh, almost four years and uh, my experiences were were great as far as litigation I had opportunity to have 50 depositions in my first year wow. do some fantastic filings and 
and really be on cases, uh, tech cases that are that were part of headlines at the time, those iconic companies, uh, technology companies that everyone you know has heard of. Um, and so to that end, it was a phenomenal opportunity to work with people who've done uh, on the cutting edge of one technology uh, practice before. And, and it was just, it was great all around. There was just one little thing. And, and that is as much as I like law, technology, reading, writing, and arguing over it, I just didn't really want to be a litigator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that became pretty apparent somewhat quickly because, you know, I do think that, you know, cases that end up in litigation, they all have at least some merits. Um, and a lot of t- times, you know, yes, there is sort of having strategy about law and technology, but I also think that there is sort of the procedural part of making other people's life miserable and gaining advantage and leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just, you know, it just wasn't me. I mean, I, I can do it and I can be successful at it. Uh, but in the end, that is not something I wanted to do long term. That is not a lifestyle I wanted. And so I, I started considering other routes. And that's when I discovered the alternative path to, to practicing um, tech law in-house. And, and so I, I, I went in-house. Yeah, you know, I, I, I resonate with that a lot, Olga. I think I've, I've told myself, you know, in litigation, and this is no offense to the litigators out there because it's a wonderful practice as well. But for me, it was, it seems even if you won, you lost in litigation because of expense and, and you know, all the pain points you talked about. But in negotiation or transactional law, it seems like you actually can at times arise at solutions where both parties are better off. And so to me, just philosophically, that resonated with me a bit more than duking it out <laughs> in court. But that that's just me. It seems like you had a similar experience. Yeah. I mean, just to convince myself of that, uh, you know, I actually took a six months uh, deputized DA position in San Francisco District Attorney's Office under wow. Pamela. <laughs> wow. And, and, and my law firm encouraged me to do that because they were looking for ways for me to kind of be more productive and excited about this litigation gig that I had going. Um, and so I, you know, because the theory was, well, Olga, you know, you may not be excited about litigation because, you know, we know that big law firm lawyers rarely go to court. So maybe if you actually become a DA for three, six, nine months, maybe, you know, you'll spend so much time in court that you will get excited. And yeah. so I did. And, um, you know, I was a DA for over six months. Um, you know, I was not trying the cases of, of, of the century. Um, <laughs> but, but having said that, I was fully deputized. I was doing everything from arraignments to motion practice uh, to actual trials, right, from voir wow. dire to, to sentencing. Um, and so I, I actually have not lost the trial uh, because um, I grew up in San Francisco. I know the city very well and, and really resonate with the jury and really sort of understand how to, to speak to them. I didn't even know that I have that skill. Um, mm. But what I concluded at the end is that, you know, my husband was like, wow, you know, you have an impressive record uh, for this six months uh, gig. Um, you know, you know, you must be very proud. <laughs> um, and then and, and I was like, you know, it's funny. I'm sort of not. 
um, you know, I, I mean, as in I'm, I, I can be a competitive person and I can kind of get into it and I like, I, I enjoy winning. But um, I also feel felt like, you know, the folks who I prosecuted, their challenges could have been addressed maybe differently mm. um, and litigation, maybe not the past. And then most importantly, I what I said was, you know, I didn't really see in terms of approach to life a big difference between the you know, prosecutor and litigator in the private practice. You know, there may be differences in subject matter. There may be differences in pay. But in the end, they all win through discovery, <laughs> mm. meaning when they make the other side's life miserable. Mm. And that was just, again, not my cup of tea. So the, the, my adventure in the DA office, if anything, was a confirmation that it wasn't just a law firm, specifically it was litigation as a practice that was just not designed for somebody like myself. Yeah, no, I, I think I share, share that uh, similar feeling. Um, so you, you go in-house, you're looking for something different than what you'd experienced. What was your transition to in-house or putting on the jersey, as I call it? What, what was that like for you? Well, I've discovered very quickly that nobody wants a former litigator and, and that it's considered a true pivot uh, to go from litigation because I did not want to manage litigation in-house. I actually wanted to do transactional work, you mm. know, as I essentially spent the first four years proving what I already knew that I want to be a transactional lawyer. <laughs> um, and so I, I sort of said, well, fine, I'll go in-house and do what I wanted to do, except by then I had four years of litigation experience, including um, six months in DA with trial experience. Um, and so then I found myself a little pigeonholed into, mm. well, you are a litigator now. Um, and I found myself in this basically, but, but, but conversation, I want to be something else. And I discovered very quickly that pivoting in law was not easy. Mm. Uh, we, we pigeonhole people very quickly all the time. And I, I, you know, received quite a lot of rejections and no's and went through the exercise of applying to, frankly, every in-house gig that I, you know, found, um, yeah. networking on steroids. Um, and then simultaneously, you know, just uh, going through the exercise of, you know, as everyone was telling me that I don't understand, for example, contracts, uh, I went through sort of self-exercise of reviewing many contracts essentially writing an outline like I did in law school and was really surprised when people would tell me that I've never negotiated a contract because one, it's not true I actually have, you do that as part of litigation. But two, I've also sort of felt like, uh, you know, it's it's a very much a learnable skill. Yeah. Um, in fact, probably not the, the, the most difficult skill to learn. And in fact, I went through exercise of essentially uh, reverse engineering all the contracts that I could hand put my hands on it, and I actually kind of got to the point that it was, you know, probably a very finite skill, and I felt like I could learn it, and in fact did during the time of interviewing. That took me about a year or so, um, and so uh, going through that process of applying, learning, and networking, I landed at, at Visa Inc. So. So you got to be an engineer after all by reverse engineering all the contracts. That's fantastic. Two things that I'm really interested in exploring there, because um, I've had the similar experience as far as going in-house and receiving, you know, hundreds of rejection letters over the years. How how did you process that 
volume of no without it kind of affecting you and moving forward. Kind of like, I guess, your challenges with speaking English, you know, having that, how, how did you push through it and, and persevere? Because I, I think that's a common experience from a lot of people who nobody likes to admit the number of rejection letters <laughs> they've received. That's not something you kind of lead out with. So since you kind of put it out there, I have a similar experience. Interested how you process that or how you would give advice to those listening, um, how to think through that. You know, by the time, so to, to be completely frank, I was, you know, baffled, mostly because I found the, I found the explanation silly. Yeah. Right. And the explanations as you've never done X before, therefore you will not be doing it here. It's so myopic. Uh, <laughs> so myopic. <laughs> so, right. so, so that was that that part will, you know, just logically speaking, because I perceive myself as somebody who learns very quickly. Yeah. Um and um and kind of I, I also have a both left and right brain very well developed because remember at some point I wanted to be an artist at some point I wanted to be an engineer. So also um, <laughs> PhD in economics was in there as well. So just to, for the record. <laughs> so yeah, so I was um, so I was I was sort and I I did not I, and I got to the point where I convinced that it was not a rocket science of a skill that we we're talking about. So yeah. I, I just sort of found the, the whole conversation silly, but yeah. because guess when I'm not a decision maker, you win, not because you're right, but because you're right. a decision maker. Mm. Um, and so so th that that was frustrating, right? Mm. But uh but 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 I guess to to your question, how do I deal with no, look, I mean being going through immigration experience since you're 12, mm. no is just sort of a normal part of your life. Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, from my first job to, you know, applying to many colleges to, frankly, even law schools, right? So I, I, I've had many, many no training um, <laughs> as, 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 as I was proceeding through life. And, you know, and, yeah. and OCI was also sort of an adventuresome experience. For yes. Me. So by the time I was doing this, this next pivot in my life, you know, now from litigation to to in-house, I was already sort of a very um, trained, no, <laughs> no receiving person. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it, you know, and, and there's by then I, I, I have I have a very strong belief that no just means you're on the right path. And mm. it just you have to go through enough of it and try to learn from it and and and. Uh, change and adjust and, and pivot and kind of persist and you get what you want so for me that 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 part of you know I was already this was not the first time in my life where I was getting repeated number of no's this was just the first time in my life where I was getting no's not backed up by really good explanation <laughs> yeah no that's really helpful I, I think you coined something here for the first time the no train I, I like that. So I, I think one of the just important things I want to emphasize is, you know, here you have Olga, who you heard her CV at the top, um, and myself, who have experienced the no train on on more than one occasion. So if you're listening and you're getting a lot of rejection emails or however, or just ghosted, which is even more common these days and frustrating, it's okay. Um, you're not alone. And you push through it. I, I like 
I really like. I think that's words of wisdom there. One more thing I wanted to explore, Olga, is the concept of pivoting. As one who has successfully pivoted from an artist to an engineer to a PhD in economics to a from a litigator to a tech transactional lawyer, how what are some tips if you have somebody who does feel like you are pigeonholed who wants to transition to something new? What what are some tips? Uh, reverse engineering contracts we heard what other tips would you would you give yeah i you know i actually think i never had the same job twice so i now <laughs> am a very sort of professional pivoter um yeah. and I, I i do sort of have maybe i guess to some extent system but you know let's just call it a series of observations um and uh, and kind of a, a way of of quickly learning and navigating the terrain of uncertainty um, when you pivot. You know, I think it's one very helpful, I think you have to be soberly honest that pivots are hard. Um, pivots are hard for you and for people around you. Mm. And you should come in with an expectation that you will be kind to yourself and those around you to show them that different as possible. Um, and that that's gonna be a process. Um, I think reminding yourself of that often yeah. <laughs> is, is something that, that is very useful it, and, and that you're kind to yourself and give others the tools to support you and be kind to you. Um, and pivots do take time. They are most definitely not an event, they're a process. Mm. Um, they are sort of dress rehearsals of, of, hey, does this go, you know, with who I am or does this go with who I am? Um, and sometimes they take, you know, days, weeks, and sometimes they take months and years. Um, and sometimes, you know, you ultimately pivot into something else in the end. So you have to be very comfortable with the process and uncertainty of it and remind yourself that that's normal. Um, that, that, that's kind of number one. Number two, I, I do think that in any pivot, in any professional pivot, there is this sort of chicken and the egg problem. There, yeah. is a, there, there is this sort of, I do not get a job because I do not have experience, and I do not have experience because I do not have a job. Right? right? You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, 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 can't, you can't join this corporate department because you're a former litigator, but yeah. you are a former litigator because you cannot get experience in the corporate legal department. And yeah. that is, <laughs> that is, you know, that's kind of by definition why we have this coined term for chicken and egg problem. It is difficult to solve chicken and egg problems. And you yeah. basically have to solve for chicken or the egg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and what I have observed uh, is many people solve for uh, one side of it that usually somebody will give them an opportunity or favor yeah. or will yeah. believe in them. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, they will describe it as a lucky event. Yeah. You know, this person saw me perform. They needed somebody quickly. I found myself in the right place at, at the right time. And, you know, I, I, when I was kind of trying to figure out how to pivot, um, I, I heard a lot of the stories and I just had a hard time. I, I, I do not know, David, how to recreate luck. Um, and, and, <laughs> you know, I, if you I figure that out, if you figure it out, let me know. Okay, I'd, I'd be interested. 
<laughs> yeah. So like, so I went, I talked to everyone I found who was telling me a pivot story and they were telling me some lucky break story. And that was fine and great. And I was really great grateful for the story and happy for them, but I could not find a way to recreate it. And so I decided to do, uh, to, to, um, to solve the, you know, the, the other problem. Right. And that is a problem of skill. And I think for me, the realization was, you know, a lot of skills that you use on the job are learnable and many people learn them on the job, but actually there are other ways to learn them. Mm. Um, and, you know, and if you kind of brainstorm of all the ways you can learn about negotiating contracts, for example, there are many ways to learn that, you yeah. know, you know, and this is where, you know, reverse engineering is one of the skills that I think is very helpful. There's quite a lot of information online. There's a lot of uh, profiles online. You can reverse engineer pretty much every success. And every yeah. skill, uh, and I invite people to do that well before they get in touch with anyone. Yeah. And then yeah. the other thing is, you know, other than sort of books, you know, there, are, you know, places where you can volunteer and do those things. So I was volunteering, negotiating agreements for one of the nonprofits, um, mm. local nonprofits, and was gaining skills that way. So by the time Visa actually hired me, I wouldn't say that they had a litigator who never negotiated a contract. By the time I got there, I actually knew more about contract negotiation than I think the guy who interviewed me, because at that point, I read every book about it, personally have outlined the approach, had a theory of how to do it, uh, reverse engineered over 300 contracts and negotiated about 70. Wow. <laughs> so by the time I got there, you, I, I don't think it would be accurate to describe me as a novice negotiator. Um, and I, I really invite people to, to, to solve for that skill problem, because I think if you step back almost in every circumstance, you can actually figure out creative ways to address the skill, not just kind of the, the job problem. I, and then I, maybe, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. And then um, and, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions about that, because I, I definitely spent a lot of time on the chicken and the egg and how to approach um, paradigm of, of life. Um, but also, I guess, number three um, is that it is my observation that most people, and including myself, networks are not diverse enough. They're not mm. wide enough or deep enough to propel you to do something new. If you're lucky and smart, it is deep and wide enough or deep, deep or wide enough to do what you already have done. Mm. And that is if you're an active networker. Um, but it is a very rare person who has a power of network to be propelled forward to do something different. Mm. And what I found that networks, if you want to do something different, sometimes hold you back. And what I mean by that is that people who know you really well doing X, in my case, litigation, uh, cannot imagine you doing something else because they know mm. you as old as a litigator. So when you tell your network, I am looking for a job, they're going to come back to you and say, look, there is a litigation position. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and, and, and then you say, well, that's great. Thank you so much. But really, I'm looking for corporate. And your network, whether they 
in your face or behind your back or in their hands <laughs> will say, but you are a litigator or mm. you are X. And mm. I understand you want to be Y, but to, and so people struggle as, with, with being helpful because they want to be helpful given your history, given how they've seen you grow up, perform in the context. And so you, I found is that my well-intended network, if when I want to do a pivot, sometimes holds me back. Mm. Um, and whether through conversation, although let's be realistic, <laughs> yeah, or the opportunities they bring, or realizing that I actually have a different role and they're not helpful by not responding to me, right? There, <laughs> may, there are many ways not to be helpful. Yeah. And so, you know, um, and so that, and, and I, you know, and, and, and I think you have to understand that that power of network to propel you forward and to hold you back. Um, and if you are thinking of doing a pivot, you need to start building your network well before you actually execute it. And very few of us that have the ability to predict the future to the extent that we can build our networks that we need right. <laughs> for the future of doing mm. something that is unpredictable. So, so those are basically the three things that I, 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 I consider when I pivot. That is that is fantastic advice. I appreciate so much you sharing that. I, there's so many wonderful gems from that. I, I'm just going to have to listen back and, and apply a lot of it to myself. But a couple of things that really resonated with me was you don't need a job to grow a skill. So you can do that where you are. And you don't need anyone's permission to make a pivot <laughs> if that's where you feel like you're going. So that just such such great words of wisdom. We, we could sit here for a couple hours, I think, Olga. Um, but but do want to, I always like to hear the story of what it was like to land your, your first GC role. Was it pure bliss or was it a moment of, oh my gosh, I can't believe um, I, I'm freaked out or some mixture of both? What, what was the experience like for somebody like me who aspires to get there one day um, interested about your experience? Yeah, so what... I so I really enjoyed being in the house. Um, I really liked my um, adventures at Visa. I realized that I live in, in the middle of Silicon Valley, and there are many opportunities around me. And mm. so after Visa, my sort of traditional legal career has ended, and I ran away with a startup circus. Uh, <laughs> so the no train in the startup circus. I think we there's some good pictures here. <laughs> And um, and that was fun. And you know what I realized, you know, that as I was getting more senior in my jobs, you know, I was getting closer and closer to my legal dream. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I I this is ultimately when I kind of realized that I really want to be the general counsel. And the reason I wanted to become one is because I felt like that I have such a unique perspective on law and the future of law and how law should be practiced that I've never really quite, quite found another person like myself, um, you know, and anyone I work for will be to some extent uh, a, you know, a, a delusion of, of, of the legal dream. Um, and so I really wanted to, to build that dream. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of, you know, looked around and I started, you know, I, I cope with stress uh, as any lawyer probably does by doing research. 
Um, and <laughs> I was looking for stories, specifically I was looking for stories. I was hoping to find like another example, a girl named Olga who had sort of similar to me experiences and uh, one way or another became a general counsel. And what I found is a lot of stories on the internet that are utterly useless. I found the stories of, you know, you know, he went to Harvard and then to Yale and then worked for, you know, Skadden. And, and then, right. you know, he became the Fortune 500 GC. And it's like, a, it's the profile that, you know, maybe will make your mother proud, but like utterly useless for somebody like, like Olga, who might have had a different task and, 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 and sort of trying to figure this out and still mm. somewhat early in her career. And so what I did, I was driving around uh, Silicon Valley, meeting with many senior lawyers and general counsel, trying to figure out how they got there. Um, and in the process was kind of doing what you were doing, David, is was sharing their stories on the Association of Corporate Counsel web website and their docket publication and in my above the law uh, column. Because what I found that there are many ways to, to become a general counsel. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And, and and in the process of talking to about 300 of them, I, I finally saw that through combinations of skills and experiences and network I have, there is a path for me. Um, and at some point, you know, so I, I was up, I was considering leaving my then current job and I received a couple of offers and my husband was like, well, which one going to take? Which one are you going to take? And I said, look, there is no point in taking any of them because they're about the same jobs. They may pay me a little more. Maybe the, the manager is slightly more exciting, but like they're really the same job. Mm. And my husband was so frustrated because he wanted <laughs> me to make a decision. He said, well, Olga, is there a job that you would say yes to? Mm. And I just sort of fliply said, yeah, you tell me that I'm going to be the general counsel and I will say yes to that. And he like sort of paused and he said, well, have you applied for one? <laughs> And I was like, no. <laughs> and, and he sort of, you know, my, I'm married to a lawyer. And he said, well, help me understand how you expect a different result. Uh, um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, you know, so this is, and, and that was a pivotal conversation where I decided, yeah. okay, fine, I will apply for the general counsel job. Yeah. Despite the fact that many people told me that that's probably not in the cards for me until like I'm, you know, 15 to 20 years of practice. And I was at the time a little under 10. So I, I applied. And to my, to my surprise, because I, at that point, I had a unique combination of sort of technology, law, litigation, and transactional experience. And there are very few people who under 10 years actually have meaningful experience and all of the above. Absolutely. So I was actually uniquely qualified to 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 be the general counsel and um i found myself being interviewed for for at the time seven or nine general counsel positions wow uh, <laughs> to my big surprise so you think at least in my head i'm thinking okay there's what almost 10 of them and, you know some somebody will not like me somebody will you know want somebody a little bit more seasoned but like one of them should say yes, right? Like I only need one yes. <laughs> so how complicated can it be? Um, <laughs> and I was going through interviews and they were all going swimmingly. I effectively was uh, the top two in almost all of them. And I was a top three or four in all of them. Um, wow. And in the end, I got none of them. 
<laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and and uh, so what a ride. Right. And I and I was like, wow. Um very interesting. You know, and I was sort of reflect reflecting on that moment and I was like, you know, on the one hand, how unlucky can you be to get like nine out of nine no's? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but on the other hand, here I am under 10 years of practice and I'm like the top two candidates. Yeah. Uh, what so a great I, perspective. <laughs> you, you can look at it either a couple different ways. That's a productive one for sure. So, uh, but, you know, I think what was going on at the time is that simultaneously, you know, I started the path of sharing the stories of other general counsel mm. and my kind of way of, of looking for a path. Um, and I was sharing that pretty openly in, in my columns. Um, and uh, as a result of my writing, I was invited to speak. And, you know, and so I was speaking like three, five times a week in person when it was wow. totally, totally cool, driving around the area, sharing about my experience as a staff lawyer. And in one of the places, there was a young attorney who was in the audience. And I was at the time a number two lawyer at, at an online dating company. Um, and she later wrote to me on LinkedIn. She said, hey, Olga, I read your column. Thank you for sharing all this exciting stuff. And I heard you speak. You're very inspiring. Would you consider to be my mentor and my boss? Wow. Uh, and I'm at the time, you know, I was at an online dating company, like literally read, giving feedback to my team about pickup lines <laughs> that we suggested <laughs> to our readers. Um, and that would have been what? on the list. <laughs> <laughs> right. The things you do as a lawyer, you know, you give feedback about pickup lines. And I thought, huh, that was, I was like, I can teach this woman a thing or two about pickup lines. Let me meet with her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and she, she turned out was working a few blocks away from me. We met for, for, um, for coffee, um, you know, and basically what happened, they had the director of legal, the number one lawyer leave uh, the company at the time. Uh, she was very worried that, you know, that she, she, you know, graduated from law school fairly recently, uh, did not have law school experience, was worried that the, the company will hire some hotshot, you know, seasoned general counsel who will bring his team. Mm. So this woman was on the mission to hire her mentor and the, the new head of legal general counsel. Interesting. Um, and she was sort of on the mission to find that person. And 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 so she heard me speak and she sort of imagined that that could be an outcome. And so we started having conversation at the time. I was not thinking really, you know, I was interviewing, but I wasn't really also seriously thinking of living unless it's a general counsel job and really compelling. Um, and then, you know, sort of naturally I was meeting with her and then with the rest of the team and the CFO and the CEO. And, and then I found myself looking at the head of legal offer, um, <laughs> essentially through that experience of, 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 of sharing my thought leadership and putting myself out there um, and being hired, not by CEO really, but being my candidacy, being pushed by a junior lawyer who, who was so adorable and liked in her company that she had a leverage and influence to propel me forward over much more qualified or experienced, maybe not qualified, but definitely more experienced candidates. And, and that's how I got my first, uh, initially had a legal position, which became the general counsel position uh, in about a month and a half. And, and there was your lucky moment. 
<laughs> it happened for you. you. You did create luck by getting on the talking circuit and the right person happened to be there who was such a unique story. <laughs> but I've never heard of that, a junior lawyer hiring her mentor and boss. That is fantastic. It speaks a lot about this person as well. It does. You will you, 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 please to know that she is the general counsel of another well-regarded um, technology company today. So not only did she give me a satisfying experience of becoming the general counsel, she also gave me a, an experience of being one of my many reports who have gone on and become general counsels themselves. Why doesn't that surprise me in the least? Well, Olga, we've come up on an hour here. I wonder if I could invite you back for an Olga Mac part two uh, to talk about some of the other things that were on the agenda. Sounds like a plan, David. Whatever is helpful to you and your audience, I'm happy to be of help. I, you know, in the end of the day, I think we all should strive to live our legal dreams uh, because in doing so, we really. Uh, are of a better service to others and frankly have a much greater impact on the world. Well, yeah, I think there's so, I appreciate that. And I think there's so much more I want to explore with you. So stay tuned. Olga Mack part two is going to be coming uh, to a podcast near you. And, and this brings us to the end of our conversation. I thank so much, Olga, for the time and for providing aspiring GCs with practical and actionable advice as they pursue the path to becoming a GC. And thank you, aspiring GCs, for joining us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.